I think permaculture's centre of gravity is in a do-good space. You know, permaculture is good. It's a good thing for more people to adopt. I mean, unquestionably, that's true with techniques that are recommended in a generic way, like, like, swales are good. Let's all do swales and tell everyone to do swales. And that's a, that'll be good for the earth or whatever. The feeling really was, okay, we've got our shit together, more or less, in our home and garden in order as per Bill Morrison's prime directive for, you know, take responsibility for yourself and the life of your children and do it now, where the first thing to do is to get your home and garden in order. If we try to impose our experience on others as gospel, I found religion or permaculture or holacracy or fill in the blank, and I've just got to share it with you. Greetings everybody and welcome back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is your host Dan Palmer. This is episode 34 in which I'm going to explore further and attempt to apply to this whole coronavirus pandemic situation, or my experience of it anyway, um, and to some extent to permaculture, the four levels of paradigm that Carol Sanford so generously shared with us in episode 33, acknowledging that we were experiencing a global crisis, that the world we have all known for our entire lives is cracking open and crumbling all around us, and that despite many concerted efforts to seal the cracks, to glue the the shell back together, so to speak, it ain't coming back in the form we've all known it. And aside from the challenges, which for some of us are horrific and life directly life-threatening and others are less harrowing, but I'm sure we're all experiencing intensity one way or another. Um, there's a question mark, or there are a lot of question marks over how what's going to arise from the ashes here. What what new possibilities is this going to uh, open up? Are we going to default back to a similar, or even a, a a worse, as in more dysfunctional system, way of life, or are some of the beautiful tantalising possibilities that this crisis, from my perspective, opens the doorway to? Uh, going to manifest. In this episode, I want to dive into a freestyle kind of exploration of, of what I got out of, of Carol's contribution in the last episode. I mentioned on the show notes to that that the night after I recorded the, the conversation with, with Carol, I kind of did this thing in my sleep or half sleep uh, throughout the night, and I, I felt like a whole lot of clarity emerged from me about how I have been navigating through these four paradigms. I'll say the names now just to get those out of the way. We'll go into them all as we go along, which are value return, arrest disorder, do good and regenerate life. I made the mistake, I guess, of not making any notes about them for like a week or so. So possibly some of that clarity is gone forever. And yet I did I did make a couple of notes just before I started recording. And uh, I have some things to share here. So let's get into that. And this will be one of an ongoing series of explorations of permaculture, living systems thinking, design process, in the context we find ourselves inside. Okay, let's leap right in here. So the, the first of the four levels Carol names value return. This includes at the bottom end of the kind of continuum that sits within this level, what she calls extract value. Extract value is, she talked about it's, the, the, it's self-referential the self or the thing that's getting the value is narrowly defined and extract value is about going in and just making a profit, getting value out of whatever system you're engaging with, whether it's extractive farming or 
you're somehow monetizing something that was previously done for free in the community without much care or concern at all for the, what the euphemistically called negative externalities or the collateral damage or whatever. Um, she said it can it can vary along that continuum up to a much more benign, gentle, kind of kind or caring form of value return, which I realized for me is what I think of in permaculture is this idea of this principle of obtaining yield, which is, and I think that's part of the challenge of permaculture is to say, hey, yeah, we still need to obtain a yield, but we can do that in a non-extractive way. Anyway, with respect to the coronavirus situation, I realized that that is where I started. So when it was imminent, when it landed for me, holy shit, this thing is coming at us fast. It's in Australia, it's exponentially, transmission is growing exponentially. Community transmission, that is, and it's also flooding in via the cruise ships and planes, everything else. It's going to come to the town I live in. It was kind of shit mobilized. And initially, I did have a narrow frame of reference. I, I thought about, what does this mean for me and my family? And took immediate action, scrambled over several weeks to get our uh, house and garden in order so that we could be continuing to um, have a return of the value value we needed basically to, to stay alive, to keep functioning. And so it was a big focus on getting enough food, getting the garden started, stocking up on other relevant supplies. I've got a couple of little water tanks in place. Um, things like firewood, even things like, oh, I better invoice clients because who knows what's coming in the following weeks. Let's let, let's get that value returned that I'd already earned into the bank account and some of that in cash, perhaps, given we don't know what's coming. So, and, and I noticed as a father, maybe maybe for the first real time in my experience of being a father and a husband, there was a surge of kind of, I don't know, like primitive uh, protective energy. You know, it's like, I'm going to use all the resources I have, you know, my mind, my body, connections, whatever, to to secure a stable, safe base in place for, for my family as this um, unprecedented crisis sweeps towards us. It was kind of a cool thing to, to notice, actually. Anyway, one I've, I've got Carol's book here, which The Regenerative Life, which in the opening pages takes us through these paradigms and fleshes them out more. One thing she mentions is that often in the value return paradigm, we look to expert advice. And I can relate to that because that's one thing I was doing initially was trying to filter through all the news to who who are the experts here and what did they have to say about this and what did they have to say about what I should be doing to to get ready. And something else, although I'm going to be quite honest here, something else I noticed in my own psychology was there was a there was some comparison going on, which I think belongs very clearly in the value return paradigm, where that's where a lot of competition, market competition, etc., sits. And it's like it's not just I want to get a value return; it's like I want to look sideways and hopefully I'm getting a greater value return than the business or the person next to me. And and that was funny to notice that I was actually thinking that I, I was thinking. Do we have as much kind of food and capacity to grow food and grow our own eggs and catch water and all that stuff as the person next door or the people in the community around me? Um, there was some kind of comparison happening. And it, it was when I got to the point where I was like, hey, we're across the line. We're in a better position than probably most of the people around us. that so I kind of started to relax. Although that gave rise to the next thought, which, I, which actually takes us into the next level, a little bit of rest disorder, which we'll jump into properly in a second. Um, which is, hang on a second, if we're super well set up and the people all around us aren't, 
and things get go bad, you know, get get chaotic and and disorderly and out of control, um, then I want to start thinking about what I could be doing to to increase their their position, not necessarily from a, a doing good paradigm, which we'll talk about later, but as I was saying, segueing into an arrest disorder paradigm where I'd I'd rather be giving food to people in my community than um, having them come and steal it <laughs> or something like that. So very interesting to reflect on the psychology, but you can see what I'm saying, that I started out in a value return, um, establishing um, value for, for me and my family and val- um, our um, kind of safeguarding our ability to continue um, getting a value return as, as a you know, of, of the basic things we depend on, which launches us into the arrest disorder paradigm, which Carol talks about as, as less bad. She gives the example in the parenting context of it's like beating your children less or being a less bad father, where the energy is around solving problems uh, and reducing bad things, creating less bad things in the world. And it's a really important paradigm. It's it's where a lot of early activism and environmentalism came from. It's like, you know, we need to stop trashing the life support systems we depend on. And it's incredibly relevant and dominant with respect to the coronavirus situation. A, a quote from the the regenerative life is that arrest disorder is useful for helping individuals, communities, and organizations keep from losing ground with regard to potentially destructive phenomenon. So the bulk of the efforts with regard to the coronavirus are about arresting disorder, which is actual and potential disorder. How, how do we make this less bad, this whole thing, that we want to keep above a certain level of degradation? So it's about arresting then increasing their order again so they're across the line, if you know know what I mean. I think also here in terms of, I'm applying the paradigms levels here to my own situation navigating this thing and and permaculture as a a whole. And I think here of Mollison and Holmgren's move from protesting against the world they didn't want to co-creating the world they did want. So when they got Jack of, like Mollison tells the story, how he's, you know, he was protesting against environmental degradation, etc. And then he went to the cabin in the woods to try and escape it all because it's just like, fuck this. Um, and he had the epiphany there. Well, hang on a second, we're all in this boat together. And he came back with a different attitude. And, and David Holmgren speaks clearly about how he, tr- he went through that same uh, realization as well, where the protesting against is clearly about arresting disorder and coming back to really co-create permaculture with a central emphasis on let's create the world or co-create the world we do want is taking us from arrest disorder into do good. And as we'll see in a sec, I'm with Carol and I, and the, I do believe that permaculture's current center of gravity is in the do good level of these, these four levels. So one thing that happens here is that your sphere of care or the, the boundary of what you're focused on protecting or considering expands. And this was very true of my experience here. So once I started to feel a lot better about, okay, what is this? What's coming? And how do we how do we ensure we have enough value as a family and me as an individual to be in a space to, to ride this out, even though we don't know what this is going to turn out to mean, in a relatively good space. You know, it wasn't totally clear cut, but then my my mind went to my extended family, to my parents and my sister, all of whom uh, live in New Zealand where their whole experience lagged behind ours by a few weeks and may may never get to the same levels the way they seem to be playing it all pretty sensibly, impressively, uh, about 
close friends and and my tribe in the community so okay you know starting to reach out and connecting with them how are you guys going what can you help with oh have you got this bit of corrugated tin i can use to put my new water tank on that kind of stuff and so it was a resting disorder together and i did i felt that expansion of my sphere of consideration it was still relatively narrow i wasn't really to be honest with you i wasn't really thinking about the implications for the ecosystem i live within or even the town i live within let alone the state and the, the nation and the, and the globe at that point it was still a relatively narrow focus and as my mind was moving from value return to arrest disorder the, the energy was around how how am I, how are you, how are we mitigating the possible collapse or partial collapse of the standard systems we've all relied on for our entire lives or if not relied on, to start taken take for granted to some degree. And I also started to, I'm, I co-own a business called Variable Gardens. We, we were, so that conversation was happening. We were looking at options that where we could reduce the infection risk for our team, for our customers, and also, also how we could mitigate the business failing or, or falling over, um, all very much in a rest disorder uh, situation. Um, one other reflection I'll, I'll share here, I, I just listened and watched um, Chris Martinson from Peak Prosperity's latest release. He, he does this YouTube every day, which I'm getting value from. He has some really great insights on in there and seems to be ahead of the curve and get, make calls that the news media takes several weeks to catch up with. But he was talking about how as the virus threatens the global economy and its business as usual uh, extract value approach, governments have been threatened by the impending disorder, but there's at least a couple of kinds of disorder that they're focused on. One is the the disorder um, and the disordering and the dismantling and um, collapse of the business as usual globalized business setup. And one is the direct disorder in people's lives. And of course, they're not independent, but... Chris was making the point that different governments are setting the dial at different places and some are, like he was quoting the USA, are putting more effort into trying to bail out huge corporations than save human lives. And so it's interesting to think about what kinds of disorder are we um, focusing on arresting. Okay, let's, let's step up to the next level, which is do good. Here your horizon expands further, your sphere of care or your boundary of consideration. And for me, it was like... Okay, what 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 what's some good stuff that could come out of us of this that we could what's some good stuff that we could do here now that we've done some stuff around value return we've done some stuff around arresting disorder what about doing something good something good for our community for the permaculture community and and the feeling really was okay we've got our shit together more or less in our home and garden in order as per Bill Morrison's prime directive for, you know, take responsibility for yourself and the life of your children and do it now, where the first thing to do is to get your home and garden in order. Um, and so we're feeling that we can stay value positive and have understood enough to be in a position to arrest disorder to the extent we comprehend what kinds of disorder are in the pipeline. What about making some good things happen here? And in our community, it was thoughts like, oh, do we go and meet the people in our street and put together lists of resources we can share? Um... We, we offered a friend who, who produces organic milk from a micro, portable micro dairy up the road uh, for our place to be a milk collection hub. Um, another one I haven't really acted on yet, but was to share what we've been doing in our garden because in about three weeks we took our garden in the new, new suburban uh, rental house we'd moved into 
from pretty boring and generic and flat ground with dead grass or neglected ornamentals to the beginnings of a cranky little permaculture paradise. And so that was one of the do good kind of things that, that occurred to me. And another one was, was the idea of just letting people know about permaculture in general. You know, that, that would be a good thing. That I think permaculture is good. It would be good to share that more widely. I'm figuring that a lot of people out there right now are thinking, shit, we've got to get that veggie garden going and you know, get things organized at our place where reaching out to them might support them towards thinking about their situation more holistically and about redesigning their whole space and perhaps their whole life and starting that whole journey and adventure. I mean, how good would it be if we came out of this thing less dependent on fragile supply systems, more connected ecosystems? And one thing that makes this kind of thinking do good is it can all be framed in generic terms. You know, I could use the same language in different places around the world. And it brings me to the point that I think permaculture's centre of gravity is in a do-good space. You know, permaculture is good. It's a good thing for more people to adopt. I mean, unquestionably, that's true with techniques that are recommended in a generic way, like, like, swales are good. Let's all do swales and tell everyone to do swales. And that's a, that'll be good for the earth or whatever. But even with permaculture in general and the idea of creating a better kind of future where it's good for humans to reimmerse in the rest of life, to cultivate local community resilience, etc. You know, the idea is permaculture is good. People need permaculture. Let's take permaculture to as many people as possible. And that's a good thing to do. And on page 12 of, as I was reflecting on this, I was like, boom, because I read this line in Carol's book, The Regenerative Life, page 12, she says, but there is also a hazard in awakening. At the level of doing good, it can be experienced as conversion, and this can lead to proselytizing. If we try to impose our experience on others as gospel, I found religion, or permaculture, or holacracy, or fill-in-the-blank, and I've just got to share it with you, then we foreclose on their authentic discovery processes. This can lead to a fixed belief in our own certainty, setting the stage for intolerance or even cultishness, and shutting down our own ongoing learning. You know, I could, I, I could see that's how kind of a challenging and maybe a tough pill to swallow, but I, I think it's really worth considering and, and sitting with. I know that I've been in that space uh, in terms of how I've thought about permaculture in the in the past, and it's not that I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with doing good. I mean, how could how could doing good be bad, right? And yet, there's this intriguing, amazing, exciting other level that ultimately. The idea is that it can inform us coming back and doing good in, in an even gooder way. <laughs> doing, doing good gooder. So let's go there. So that, that is what Carol refers to as regenerate life. She, she explained on conversation that she previously called this evolve capacity, but has come to realize that uh, the evolution of capacity is one aspect of, of the broader concept or paradigm level of, of regenerate life. And I'll read out another quote, actually. Page 13. She says... Once we have this perception, the perception of, of regenerate life paradigm level, once we have this perception, we are able to engage with the system as a coherent whole, with its own tendency toward aliveness and its own need to secure a place in the world by making beneficial contributions. To enable living systems actualization, which is a core aspect also of regenerate life, means to perceive phenomena in terms of their wholeness and dynamic aliveness rather than their thingness, and to take actions and make choices in support of the full expression of this aliveness. So for me, I believe that in navigating the coronavirus over the last month or so, I believe that some flavors of regenerate life started to show up when I moved from what are, what are some generic, I'll sit in the question of what are some basically generic good things that I could do 
and I mentioned some of those above, to like, who am I uniquely? And who are we uniquely? And by we, I mean my family, my community, the team that makes up our business, etc. And who is here uniquely? Like, who is this place that I live within uniquely? And what could I contribute that supports them to regenerate and express their uniqueness? And I mean, so you, here you are, you're listening to me right now. And so it's like, what could you uniquely contribute toward that supports all these things that you're nested within to regenerate and express their uniqueness? And I remember Ben Haggard, um, who, I, who I interviewed several episodes back, and by the way, who plays a huge role in Carol's books. I, I think, I, actually, my understanding is the way she writes these books is that I think she speaks them and he maybe he types them down. Anyway, he's a big-time collaborator of Carol, so thanks so much, Ben Haggard, for helping Carol bring her thinking into the world in this way. But anyway, I remember Ben talking about how he sees potential as how the unique essence or singularity of something meets something that's called for in the context. And our context is is emerging and moving and transforming and evolving so fast right now. So to me, a a core part of this regenerate life paradigm level is how does what I uniquely am and can offer meet something that's called for in in this context? And so for me, this is bringing me to where I am now, which is things like this podcast, right? Which is this podcast is very unique. It's something that I bring my own uniqueness to. And then I realized that I could lean into more as a way I can express myself um, in ways that contribute positively to the world, I hope, um, in these times. And so far, so good. There was a great deal of appreciative feedback on, oh, I shouldn't say feedback, given that this is about Carol's work. Uh, there's a lot of positive reflections and comments on the last episode. On, on the regenerate, regenerate Life front, my friend Joel Meadows down the road, I must interview Joel at some point, amazing, amazing permaculturist. We were chatting just yesterday, and he was saying he'd love to walk the valley that we both live in sometime. He's been walking it for 18 years and explore possibilities, including the idea of we have these things in Australia called land care groups, which are partially government funded, and they usually involve people arresting perceived disorder. So they poison and bulldoze willows out of creek lines because they perceive those as disorderly um, relative to the native vegetation they prioritize, and then doing good in the sense of planting native trees and we talked about infiltrating one of these groups maybe outnumbering the existing numbers and supporting fresh directions which are about regenerating the valley um, and may include things like planting oak trees and not ripping out willows and bringing goats back in to to provide a yield while uh, turning the gorse and the blackberry and the oaks and willows or whatever else into into milk and food and, and whatnot rather than poisoning those and all that kind of stuff in this space i also i think of my family my beautiful unique wife and children i have two daughters age six and nine and how how we can all navigate this in a way that supports us to be ourselves and to bring ourselves forward to quote carol on page 13 of the regenerative life she says with respect to regenerating life returning to the example of little children if we have some responsibility for their well-being then we wish them to become self-determining and to actualize themselves as unique individuals this has to do with enabling them to express their creativity but it also means helping them find ways to make meaningful contributions to the world of course this is true not just for individual people but for all living systems including soil bodies 
families, communities, businesses, gardens, forests, and watersheds, all the way up to Earth as a whole and beyond. And one comment I'll make is that I'm finding it a lot easier to perceive and see the uniqueness of the people in my family, like particularly the kids, outside of the dominant impact of that school usually has from week to week. As I think of it, most schools, I guess all schools spend a bit of time arresting disorder in, in terms of discipline and whatnot, but most good schools are, are in the doing good paradigm, right? They're about having some predefined definition of what is good, some you know, set of criteria that they want to get the, the children to, to meet or satisfy. So that, those are some of the places I've gone in terms of, of uh, regenerate life. And I, th- I feel like in terms of permaculture, there's, there's pockets and places where permaculture dips into regenerate life from its center of gravity and doing good. And I'm really excited to explore those. And, and, and I'd love to hear from people that, that are or, or believe you are or want to, want to talk about and find out together where you are operating from this level of paradigm in your own permaculture work. Um, I know that Carol has worked with a lot of incredible permaculturists over the years, so she's not, um, and, and I know a bunch of them that are deeply grateful, including myself now, for being supported to move from a do-good to regenerate life level. So I know she's not just blowing smoke when she says this stuff and she is coming from a from a loving, caring place because she wants permaculture um, as well as permaculturists like everyone else she deals with to, to be growing and regenerating life and expressing themselves and all that kind of stuff. I'd say good stuff, but we're not talking about good do good here. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you one distinction that she shares in her book on the regenerate life section, which was comes from David Bohm, the theoretical physicist. Um, and he distinguishes what he calls thinking from thoughting. And Carol makes the point that to work from the re- regenerate life uh, level of paradigm, you need to start doing this thing called thinking more. And, and that we don't realize that the vast majority of what we call thinking is actually thoughting, where thoughting is simply recycling thoughts that we've had before and that have often come from books and experts and the government and other external uh, authorities. And, and I, I get that, you know, like I feel like occasionally in my life I've done something that I would call thinking, thinking for myself. And, and I can appreciate that that's something I'm going to need to learn to do more reliably uh, and consciously if I'm going to not only be able to dip my toe into the regenerate life level, but stick around and not get sucked back um, in terms of my center of gravity. One thing that kind of blew me away that I learned from Carol in our conversation was that all of the levels have their place. Like we need to be doing all of those things. And yet we can, it's possible to, to be centered in the regenerate life level and to then move back down and how we consider and approach all of these different things. So you can be you can be centered in a regenerate life regenerate life paradigm and let this percolate down and infuse what, what good you do. So the good you do is informed by the the unique character of, of the life sheds or the people or the organizations you're working with as long as well as your own. And where where the good is not imposed in generic anymore, but it's specific and specifically supportive of evolving the capacity of this whole here and now that you're dealing with. And of course, we need to arrest disorder. It's totally appropriate that we're arresting disorder with respect to the coronavirus, for instance. But how do we do that in a life-regenerating, non-generic way? And, and the same for value return. Well, we all need to make a, we all need to make a yield. 
it's pretty basic stuff. And yet I see how you can you can approach that from a regenerative life, life perspective when it's like, how do I obtain my yield from a garden in a way that supports its evolution and, and brings me more in touch with the uniqueness of, of its soil microbiome and chemistry and um, physics and the whole thing is able to express itself nested in the ecological context it's within in a way where I'm growing and it's growing and the whole thing is becoming more and more unique as it goes along because I'm less and less imposing generic techniques that I learned from a book on it and learning to to support the whole thing to evolve forward step by step on its own terms. And so I'm realizing that I can get a value return, arrest disorder, and do good in a more or a less regenerative way. And I guess that's a challenge I'm taking on is to sit with that question whenever I catch myself doing any of these things, you know, seeking a value return, arresting disorder, doing good. Is there any way I could be doing this more regeneratively? And that, my listeners, I was going to say my friends, but I'm not going to be that presumptuous. Many of you are my friends. I hope that many of you are yet to become my friends. But anyway... That is a question that excites me. How about you? Okay, and before wrapping this up, I want to share one more quote from Carol's book, The Regenerative Life, which runs like this. At the Regenerate Life level, our focus is on what makes things alive. This requires anchoring our work in the first principles of living systems, the ground from which it becomes possible to understand them. When we have a clear sense of these first principles, we're quickly able to assess whether or not the work we're doing is therefore regenerative. And I want to share that I'm, um, the next conversation I have with Carol, I'm pretty sure that's going to be our focus, is, is hearing from her on her seven first principles of regeneration, which, um, as she says here, as far as she's concerned, we have to uh, deeply understand and be practicing if we um, are authentically coming from a regenerate life level. Okay. Well, that was a one-shot freestyle based on some loose notes attempt. Hopefully that was semi-coherent. Um, I said I was going to do it, I want to do it, and now I've done it. And now we'll move back to a combination of interviews. I do want to, to do some more things like this where I, I share a lot of design process understandings um, that we've been exploring together on Making Permaculture Stronger for like four years now and how they're relevant at the current time and share how I've been using them in my own context. I also am looking to interview David Holmgren fairly shortly and get his reflections and insights on the current situation, along with another colleague who works with something called adaptive leadership that I think has got some valuable stuff to offer. And I must get an episode out on holistic decision making, which is an approach to making good decisions, or making good or maybe even regenerative decisions in a time when a decision making capacity is, is sorely tested. So all that is in the pipeline plus more. I've also got some interviews with existing permaculture designers. We'll be chatting about supporting them to to lift, well, to, to evolve. And I want to wrap up by reading out a quote from page 165 of The Regenerative Life, which you can track down at carolsanford.com if you're interested. I, I was an action research participant in the book, and there's a quote from me on page 165 which I'm going to read out this is from Dan Palmer I say I feel that I've made an irreversible shift in my approach to podcast recordings in the future I can consciously use them as opportunities to move beyond just sharing good information to developing discernment within myself my guests and the listening audience it's lifting my work from doing good toward regenerating life that's what I said there Uh, I hope there has been some degree of truth to that 
in your experience. I love your reflections moving forward. Catch up on the rest of the body of work this podcast is part of at makingpermaculturestronger.net. Oh yes, I do not want to forget to thank both my existing patrons, the people that support this project in an ongoing way, and also the brand new ones that have emerged since the, the last episode. Uh, thanks to Linda McKittrick and Bill Houghton, both based over in the States, who have decided to, to support the, the project. It makes a huge difference to me, to my energy for this project and what becomes possible. Um, and Linda and Bill, I really look forward to having you join our six weekly online gatherings where we support each other to grow and evolve as permaculture designers. Okay, well everybody, stay safe out there and please consider the extent to which you can be regenerating life as you do good, arrest disorder, and get a value return or obtain a yield out there in this crazy old world. Catch you soon.